Today I'll be reading scripture from Luke 23, verses 13 to 25 and 33 to 34. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and had found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. But they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time he spoke to them, Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. This is the word of the Lord. Check. Is this coming through? Awesome. All good. <clears throat> well, good morning, everyone. And a happy Father's Day to all of you who hold a father figure role in someone else's life. You know, a lot of what I do uh, involves working with children and youth. And the reason it's important for me to acknowledge Father's Day uh, is because I actually think growing up is difficult. And, and in growing up, uh, the difficulties that are there, I actually also believe that having good people in our lives that we can look up to uh, helps with a lot of that. So thank you for all that you do. <clears throat> this morning, we continue our three-part series on forgiveness. And last week, Abby led us in a conversation about forgiveness from the perspective of God forgiving us. And while I won't repeat all that she said, something significant for me as I prepared this morning is that God forgives us for a reason. And that reason is forgiveness is something we need from God. And I will go so far as to say that our forgiveness of others is also a need in life. Before I get into it too much, I do want to acknowledge that forgiveness can be hard to talk about. The conversation about forgiveness can remind us and bring us back to the parts of our lives that, that contain pain and, and personal traumas because the nature of forgiveness involves those places. And while I will talk about forgiveness in that context, I want us to recognize and also be aware that healing from pain and trauma 
It cannot and should not be rushed. And forgiveness in the same way cannot be forced or expected. My purpose this morning is to converse about what it means for us to forgive one another in light of who Jesus is and our calling as God's children. And it's not to put an expectation to forgive, especially when forgiving someone in the moment causes you more pain to do so. Because the experiences that we have in life, whether they're good or they're bad, they're significant to who we are and how we feel about those moments are important and incredibly valid. So let's begin with prayer. Father, we're thankful for your presence here with us. As we continue our conversation about forgiveness, open up our hearts and minds to what it is you have to say. We ask this in your name. Amen. So today's focus is forgiving others. And the story that I want to share with you uh, involves a bit of context and imagery. And so how many of you, by show of hands, how many of you have ever heard of Scooby-Doo pasta? Yeah? Okay, cool. Now, for the rest of you, we're going to have an image up on the screen if, if it works. Um, have you ever gone to the grocery store and you've seen this there, right? Yeah. So, so this thing, a couple weeks ago, I was, I was just grocery shopping, as people do, and I saw this can on sale, uh, and it actually sparked the memory uh, that I'd like to share with you. And now, if you're unfamiliar with this product, uh, inside the can is, is overcooked pasta in tomato sauce, uh, but the shapes of the pasta are in the images of Scooby-Doo and, and Scooby-Doo characters. But Scooby-Doo is not actually relevant for our conversation. What you do need to know, though, is that this pasta existed 25 years ago, and one day I was going to eat it for lunch. I think I've mentioned this previous uh, times I've spoken, but for those hearing me for the first time, when I was growing up, I actually had undiagnosed ADHD. And this meant that I had a difficult time paying attention in most learning environments. I also had a lot of energy, and when my attention would shift from my teacher to literally anything and everything in the room, I'd also end up causing distractions for my classmates around me. And when I was in grade two, my teacher had enough uh, of my behavior and had decided that it was just too much. And so her decision was to place my desk at the back of the class, away from my classmates, and I was seemingly okay with this because it just meant I got to play with my little secret toys in my desk that I brought, or I got to just think about what I was having for lunch because I enjoy thinking about food. It's also important to know that at this time in my life, there were a group of kids who actively didn't like me, and they would make my life a bit harder whenever the opportunity uh, arose. And partway through the year, we had this new kid join our class, and this kid's name was David. And David was fresh from Brazil and spoke very little English. And so our teacher put David in this group with another kid who spoke Portuguese for the purpose of helping translate for David what was, happening, what was being said in the classroom. Now, I do think this is a smart choice on, on, the, uh, on behalf of my teacher, and it was probably good for David as he adjusted to life in Canada. But the problem for me is that this kid who was translating for David was a part of the group that actively disliked me. Now, the pasta. See, my mom had brought my lunch that day, and, and we, you know, I don't know, remember how long, but we had talked about Scooby-Doo pasta, and I was so, so excited for this pasta. And so when, when I finally got the thermos, uh, uh, I, I started setting up my, my lunch area. You know, it's like a little private island. So I pour out the contents into this bowl, uh, and, and I start to, to get every, uh, like my utensils. But then I notice David as he just starts walking towards uh, the back of the room. 
David had only been with us for about a week at this time. And so I wasn't really familiar with him. But as I was getting my utensils and about to start eating, he comes right to my desk at the back of the class. And so he, I just look up at him. I'm like, hello, what do you want? And I knew that I couldn't really communicate with him. And David just stared at me. And then all of a sudden, he licks his finger and dips it right into my food. Right? Grade two Jeremy was not happy. I started to scream and I was crying because this random gross kid came over to my space and completely ruined my lunch and subsequently my whole day. And this obviously caused a scene and the teacher who was on duty for lunch that day, you know, he came in and tried to figure out what had happened. And as it was translated for him, you know, the teacher was told that David wanted to taste my food and he didn't know any better because he was new and from Brazil. That's such a fantastic excuse, right? And so David did what most of us have been told to do when we do something wrong. The teacher told David to say he was sorry. So David looked at me and repeated, I'm sorry. And then the teacher looked at me and told me that I had to forgive David because that's what you do when someone says sorry. Now, I can't tell you how mad I was. This was a very upsetting moment because I knew David wasn't actually sorry. And I also knew that if I decided to not cooperate, right, and say, oh, it's okay, that then I get in trouble too, because that's what you do when someone says they're sorry. You forgive them. But here's why I never ate Scooby-Doo pasta again. It's not only that I was having to forgive this person who ruined my day, who I knew wasn't sorry. The teacher also looked at it and decided it wasn't a big deal that David had done this. And because it was lunchtime, he said I had to eat my lunch. And so when I refused and said, this is really gross, I'm not going to eat it, he then said, look, if you mix it up like this, it's like he never even touched it. And then he started, you know, making it more contaminated. And then he made me take a couple bites, because if I didn't, I'd have to stay inside for recess. Scooby-Doo pasta never tasted quite the same after that. Now, the thing about this moment is the significance for me is not really about the pasta. It's about David and what he did to me. Forgiveness is needed when something occurs and harms the relationship between two people, or uh, just people in general. Forgiveness doesn't involve inanimate objects or social structures. Forgiveness involves people and our relationships with each other. And that relationship doesn't have to be in any place necessarily. When I talk about relationships between us, between individuals, it's with the understanding that God has created all of us uniquely in his image, for the purpose of being in relationship with each other and those we encounter and come to know. And this is actually echoed in Genesis 1, where it says, you know, and then God said, let us make them in our image after, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of, this, uh, of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created people in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We were created to be in unity together. And therefore, we are spiritually intertwined in a very complex relationship. Strangers and enemies included with all of creation. Because all people are made in the image and likeness of God. And our spiritual nature is at the core of our entire being. David and I, in this moment, in grade two, we had an opportunity to be friends. 
And that friendship could have been really healthy for us. It could have led us to good growth. It could have led us more to God. But that's not what happened. As a result of his actions, not only did I now have an aversion to a food I really enjoyed, but I also became much more guarded, especially when meeting new people. And I became much more self-conscious in group settings because what was not recognized at the time was that as a child, I was completely humiliated by this kid in front of my whole group of peers. And not only that, this teacher then invalidates how I feel while they were just probably trying to do their best. The cherry on top of this being that I was now further isolated by my classmates because I was made to seem foolish for overreacting to someone putting their gross little finger in my food. If it wasn't clear before, I never really forgave David. But in this part of my story, can I ask you, was I not the one who was harmed? Was I not the one who was wronged? And if I was wronged and have not forgiven David, is there a place to allow forgiveness now if I do hold any resentment? Or does it not matter because this is a moment which no longer holds much weight and the relevance is gone because this happened 25 years ago? If I am to forgive David for that time, what exactly is it for? Because if I'm being truthful, the lack of Scooby-Doo pasta in my life hasn't really been much of an issue. But in the moment, it was incredibly difficult and it left an impression. Is forgiveness something we pretend so we can one day overlook what happened to us when our feelings are no longer as intense? Or does forgiveness involve something much deeper than us or something much deeper from us because if I'm being honest, the reason this moment no longer affects me is not because I've ever forgiven David. It's because as an adult, I recognize his choices were influenced by others whom he wanted approval from as this new kid in a new school who had no, uh, uh, who had no experience with English. But also, David was a child. And so I choose to overlook it now, but none of that really involves forgiveness. As we grow up, there's this sense that the struggles that we, uh, the struggles and hard feelings that we have and experience from when we're children are less significant as we grow because we assume the minor circumstances that those situations happened in, it means that we shouldn't feel as strong. And eventually we move past those feelings because yes, there are more important things than that time a kid put his finger in my food. And so forgiveness by us can then be assumed as something that happened, but easily missed in our experience, which only makes it harder when we experience more devastating moments in life that then require forgiveness as well. My point in sharing this is that when we take for granted these moments and do our best to move past the pain without allowing ourselves the opportunity to be led to forgiveness, and this includes when we lie to ourselves about forgiving with hopes that it becomes true, when we do this, we actually numb ourselves to the experience of true forgiveness, which leaves us not knowing its fruit as well as we can. Because forgiveness in many conversations has encouraged us to dismiss our negative uh, moments and avoid our feelings for the purpose of showcasing inward strength and moving forward and reflecting and relying on our faith in God, which all sounds really good. But really what we're doing is we're distracting ourselves from the hurt that we are experiencing until we can't feel it anymore. And then we hope we never feel it again. 
That kind of forgiveness is a lie. It is not the kind of forgiveness that we are called to embody as God's people because God does not want us to dismiss our pain for the sake of forgetting in the guise of forgiveness. God wants us to embrace our whole being, which includes all parts of us, including the ones that hurt still. And I wonder if I can ask this question, thinking of that moment so long ago and recognizing the severity of this story, you know, is minimal and involves young children. Did David sin against me? The purpose of forgiveness is ultimately a forgiving of sin. Not because everything we do is sinful, but because where forgiveness is void in our life, those places often sway us and give us more opportunity for sin. And it leads us away from who God has called us and created us to be. And I want to be clear in saying that sin is very complex and it's incredibly challenging to define. But sin does have expressions and characteristics that flow through the consequences of our choices and our actions. And one expression of sin that is always true is that sin creates disunity and conflict among us as people. In Genesis 3, we, uh, as we look at the account of the fall which occurs between humanity and God and the intentions of their actions, there's a breaking of relationship between the creator and the created. And the ongoing theme throughout scripture is God's salvation for humanity through the forgiving of our sin and the restoring the, uh, or, or, and restoring the means of relationship with God. Sin at this point not only affects how we make our choices, whether good or bad, it also negatively changes and changed how we see and understand our relationships with each other, especially when the other is a stranger. If sin involves the hurting of our relationships with one another, then I do think it's reasonable to say that David sinned against me. But the question now is, if David is forgiven in his sin by God, why does he need my forgiveness? In Matthew 18, Jesus addresses a question about forgiveness when Peter asks, how many times, Lord, should I forgive someone who has sinned against me? And Jesus answers Peter, as many as 70 times seven. This is an absurd number to keep track of, and all it does is highlight that there is no limit to forgiveness in the number of times we, we forgive. But Jesus continues his explanation with a parable. And this parable is of a king who forgives a slave because the slave owed a large amount of money to the king. And so the king's decision was, you're going to sell everything off. You're, you and your family are going to be sold off. And so the slave then begins to beg and plead with the king for forgiveness. And the king grants it. But after he is forgiven, this slave then goes and, and decides to collect uh, and settle a debt from someone else. But this time, where he is now in the uh, position of power to forgive, he chooses not to. And unlike the generous king, this, this forgiven slave throws the other person into prison as a consequence to missing that uh, payment. And the king eventually finds out and scolds and punishes this slave severely for their lack of mercy, especially after greater mercy was shown to them for the amount that they owed the king was so much more significant than what they were owed by this other person. What I find meaningful in this parable is that the initial slave had an opportunity to extend what was given to him. The purpose of this mercy was so it can be given generously to others. 
This is also a theme shared uh, in scripture with the Israelites who as a chosen people, they were meant to help the surrounding nations repent and reconcile with God. But, in their fa- but they failed as they adopted uh, other customs and, and faith traditions. And so Jesus helps us see that another characteristic of sin is that sin takes on a form of debt between people. Sin is something which leaves the one needing forgiveness in a, in a place of spiritual debt to the other person that they have wronged. And with David, in sin, sinning against me, he is spiritually in debt to me and at my mercy for the wrong that he caused. And in withholding forgiveness from him, I feel and hold that power, which is ironic, considering the offenses that we go through from other people because of their sin, those moments often leave us feeling completely powerful, powerless. And while Jesus shows us that there is a call to forgive others, forgiveness remains an opportunity for us to allow or reject. What is even more interesting for me in this parable is that after learning that this slave treated the other slave with such severity, the king doesn't you know, take him out of uh, prison. There's no mention. The king allows that consequence uh, uh, to, to continue. There's no mention that the king allows freedom of that consequence. And so my forgiving of David is something that would allow him to live in freedom from sin or from the sin he caused me. And I can only really forgive David of uh, this experience I had with him because this kind of forgiveness, the real kind of forgiveness, which looks at the entirety of my own sin, you know, that's something I learned from God. Because while the conflict was with David and him sinning against me, my hurt and the pain that I took from that day, from that moment, led me to sin against others in ways that, that sought similar humiliation and hurting in a relationship with someone else who is made in God's image. Looking at how my actions and my, my failings have hurt and treated people poorly for the sake of my own pride and my sin, I'm remembering David. My forgiveness to share that, that I can share with others is something that I'm learning and have learned through the experience of being forgiven by God. And in this sense, forgiveness cannot ever be fully known by us until we receive that forgiveness by God and are reminded of it in our faith. But why do I hold back my forgiveness from David? Is it because he said the words and he didn't really mean it? I think a lot of the time when, uh, when we withhold our forgiveness, it's because we're waiting for that other person to give us an honest, honest apology. We want the people or the, uh, or the person who hurt us to acknowledge their wrong, and then we want them to say, I'm sorry. But true forgiveness doesn't actually require reconciliation or a nice ending. Though reconciliation is something that's always desired as an outcome, it's not necessary in order for us to forgive. Because forgiveness is for the purpose of releasing someone from the spiritual debt and harm of sin that they've caused us. And we see this with Jesus in the passage that we read this morning. At this point in Jesus' life and ministry, he's heading towards the climax of his story. You know, he's, on, he's being pushed towards crucifixion by the very people that should have recognized him as someone who they've been waiting for. And something else we know prior to this moment with Jesus is that he's in this garden praying the night that he gets taken. 
And in Matthew 26, you know, it says, then, then he said to them, my soul is sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and, and prayed, saying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus didn't want to be crucified. He was willing, but he didn't actually want it. And let's be clear that this sacrifice for us to experience forgiveness, Jesus didn't want any of it to actually happen to him. And, it, and there was a good reason. Crucifixion was going to cause an unimaginable pain for him. Crucifixion was not customary to the Jewish people. It was a method of torture leading to death, and it was a punishment reserved for the greatest crimes against Rome and Caesar. The Jewish leaders who pushed Jesus' uh, Jesus's crucifixion, they were doing so on no basis that actually required a punishment. And through their sin and fearing the influence that Jesus was collecting with the Jewish people, and then also embarrassing them in their leadership, through their sin and fearing Jesus this way, they plead with Pilate after the official presiding government questions Jesus and examined him and concludes that, there, that he was not deserving of a punishment this severe. Luke tells us that Pilate even goes so far as to plead in confusion on behalf of Jesus because what was being done and Jesus being crucified did not make any sense. And so Jesus, who is innocent, was sentenced to death in exchange for someone who had committed murder and insurrection. Someone who, who had a legitimate reason to be up on that cross, uh, or at least according to the Romans. And then Jesus endures the pain that is involved in being put on a cross. And as part of his final moment at the end and in the midst of some of the most incredible pain known, Jesus pleads for the forgiveness of those who put him there. And the reason is that they do not know what they do. Forgiveness is where we are led in our relationships with God. It is not a product of our own will, though it is something that we do need to deeply desire. But in truth, forgiveness is not from us entirely. It's something that is fostered with God. As we recognize the sin involved in life that is spread by the hurt and fear which all people share as we navigate growing up and the expectations that are placed on us. Forgiveness takes understanding and insight from personal experiences and it requires an openness to accept the invitation. Because as Lisa Turkhurst suggests, forgiveness is not required from us. Instead, it's an offering to be part of. Because forgiveness is for the benefit of both us and those we forgive because God helps us to get there in a beautiful and gentle way. It is not necessarily having complete peace and resolution from what has hurt us. Forgiveness can often be an ongoing process with God, where some days hurt more than others. But it is in this desire, in our desire to forgive, that God slowly brings about our healing from that. David does not know the impact he had on my life and he probably never will, but he is forgiven. In remembering this story, I've also been able to have the opportunity to be free from the sin that David caused me all those years ago. And in our journey with Jesus, as we follow the Holy Spirit, we are led to forgive others, because in doing so, we meet the needs of those who need it. 
and in forgiving them of their sin that they've caused us, we enable those people to live in true freedom, or at least closer to. And so as I end off and invite the worship team back up, I want to end with a couple things. One, if you are struggling from an event, I find trusted friendships can often alleviate us from some of what we find hard in those moments. Because that's a really significant part of holy community and trusted friendships is we can be there for one another. and We can rely and lean on one another. But also when our friendships have limits to the type of care we can receive, we also advocate for professional and trained counseling. And so if you'd like help finding a good counselor, please reach out to us and we'll see how we can help. But until then, let's pray. Jesus, you gave us the example of forgiveness as you stood on the, or as you were hung on that cross and asked for us to be forgiven. We pray that your spirit continues to lead us in life as we continue trying to become more like you daily. We ask this in your name. Amen.